All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, gonna be doing, we're doing a podcast here from the basement. Um, catching up, getting caught back up, I guess, after the holidays. Um, been doing some hunting. Um, have have had a little bit of a tough time keeping up. When's the last podcast? When did the last podcast go? Right after gun last season. Last week. Did we do one last yep, week? Yep, on the cold weather. Yeah, because we did it right after gun season, yep. or right before gun season. Yep. So it's been a, been a, been at least a week. Um, so I thought what we would do is I've had I've had a lot of time to think about um, different topics, different podcast subjects. Um, we are get to, this time I'm going to use. I have been playing a lot of catch up. I think I've said this last three podcasts. I've been playing a lot of catch up on uh, messages, DMs, texts, uh, emails that have had. A variety of different questions regarding dog training um, only because the last few weeks um, maybe month and a half or so have been we have spent a considerable amount of time focused on being in the field um, trying to capture the moment uh, take advantage of the chances and opportunities that we have here um, and that's been great uh, it's been real beneficial for the dogs um, it's also been um, a sense of rebalancing for myself um, I I recognize it more now than ever. Um, we work so hard throughout the year, and I'm not saying just us, I'm saying everybody. We all work so hard throughout the year. Um, for hunters, the hunting season is a really, really valuable time um, because it just kind of, now we're kind of winding down with some of it, and I feel like reflecting back on it, it's like it goes so quickly when it's here. And so... Um, a lot of what we do all year long is in, I was just talk, joking with a buddy of mine um, the other day, I think it was yesterday I was talking with him and I said something like, he said he was back to work. We're getting back into the swing of things more routine work-wise. And I said, but this is why we work all year long is so that we can do what we've done the last few weeks or months for some of us. And um, he laughed. He said, yeah, you're right. It's, it is hunting is the reason we do the stuff we do the rest of the year is to allow us to be able to do that. So we've tried to take advantage of it. Um, I've got a built-in excuse to say, well, I have to for the dogs. And I do. I, I do think it's ultimately that is the goal for, for a lot of folks with the, the use of their dog from a field standpoint. I think always the family dog part comes first for us, but the hunting part of it absolutely is a very, very, um, very much the, the direction driver when it comes to a lot of the stuff that we're doing with the dogs. So if you don't hunt them, what's the point? Kind of, that's, that's my feeling a lot. Um, so we do so much training and the hunting seasons, seasons are when we can kind of realize the value in that. So, um, so that's where we've been at. I hope you have been able to do that as well. If not, I hope you're able to with what is left of the hunting season. And I think you should maybe think about it in that perspective. I realize that there's a lot going on in life outside of hunting. Um, but I think not only is it, you know, the goal and the reason and the driving force for a lot of the stuff that we're doing, but it's also a way for me to recalibrate. Like I get zeroed back. I get, I get my focus back. Um, it's just, it's such an important thing for me. Um, and I imagine I'm not alone in that. So I'm going to start out with a question. This is an email that came, um, it's an interesting one. Uh, there are going to be times throughout this that I'm going to say, you know what, I can't help you. And I'll explain that more as we get into it. But um, I do think that it's important for you to hear and understand 
Um, and for this individual, it's a gal that sent the message. I'll be sending her a message back. I think I'm hoping she um, listens to podcasts. If not, I'll send her the link to it and, and she'll be able to listen to it. But um, it's a it's a much easier answer through a podcast type format than it would be for me to type an answer back to her. Um, there's lots of things that I'll probably get into that would just be a, a challenge for me to articulate through through text or, or through a message. So we're going to talk it out to her. Um, when I say there's, the, the, I think it's important for you to understand too that I won't always have the answer that you want to hear. Um, that's just reality. Uh, sometimes it's going to be for different reasons. Sometimes it's going to be in this case, in this particular situation, there's stuff that we're going to talk about that I'm just not familiar with. And so I'm not going to try to BS her. I, I, I'm going to tell her, I, I can't help you with that. That's not my, that's, I don't know enough about it. Um, to be offering advice or recommendation. So we'll get into that here, but, um, so I'll read it to you. It is a little bit of a long message. So, um, and I get a lot of these and this isn't the longest I've gotten a lot longer, but, um, sometimes they're real short and sweet. Sometimes they're a little bit longer. This one has quite a bit of background to it. So let me get into it with you. She says, hi, Jeremy, let me start up by thanking you for your online help that you offer. I like the way you do things. We have similar thoughts when it comes to training. I've had a black lab for over 50 years now. Our most recent pup, Boone, came to us, came to live with us June 12th of this year. He's eight months old, 71 pounds as of November 5th. So as I back this up, I go, came to live with us um, June 12th, and he's eight months old now. So June, July, August, September, October, November. So five months. So they got the puppy when maybe around three months old, if my math is adding up here um so maybe you know most people i think are getting puppies around that seven eight week old this is a maybe a 12 weeker when when they got it um that leads in that is important because later on they're going to she's going to talk about a little bit of the previous training prior to them getting the dog but so i listen i read that and i go eight months old now 71 pounds as of november 5th this is a big dog um this is going to be a real big dog i think so i'm a 65 year old woman not as young (laughs) back into the email here. I'm a 65-year-old woman, not as young or strong as when we got our last pup, Spur, the summer of 2005. So their last puppy was 15 years ago. Um, So Boone is a fairly high drive, wonderful dog, but the issue I have initially was finding a trainer in our small town. We're out about an hour north of Cheyenne, Wyoming. Found a field trial trainer an hour away, a friend of a friend, who is great and helping me out at a rate I can afford weekly or every other week lessons. We usually find either a puppy class or a trainer to work with us with our pups. So they've owned dogs for a long time. It sounds like they, they work with trainers throughout the years um, in kind of helping them get their plan together for training. So she's laying that all out for me. My main concern, back to the message, my main concern is obedience. We are considering some field trial work. I'd like to do agility more for fun. Boone is AKC registered from a line with many titles, but he is first and foremost our boy, a loving member of the family. I listened to your podcast the other day about e-collars, the fellow with the GSHP who wanted to get away from these. So we had a podcast that we did where, uh, um, so so she is going to listen, she does listen to the podcast. So 
uh, we had a fellow that messaged me, wanted to know how I would, I think the question was, how, how would I go about teaching recall without the use of a collar? I remember that podcast topic. Um, so she listened to that one. She said, we have never used an e-collar until Boone. I also agree with your philosophy not to treat train. My dilemma, I had reservations to begin using the collar or treats, but we live on a little less than 10 acres, which is great. We are very blessed. We're also surrounded by cattle pastures, and if a dog gets caught around the cattle, the owner can rightfully shoot the dog. It is also always important our dog be under control, but more in such situations. This is why we agreed to the e-collar, and while I understand in theory we had a difficult time accepting it, but I do believe the e-collar can save a dog's life, as another trainer or friend in another state explained. She works with GSDs. I wanted to wean Boone off of the collar, and I will caveat. He seems to be a smart character. Quickly figured out here, like the the command here, which is advised, which as advised, he was already trained to hear, sit down, off, sit down, off. But sometimes his focus is elsewhere, mostly on here. So it sounds like he came with a little bit of training. It sounds like hear or recall. Uh, also sit down and off. But sometimes his focus is elsewhere, mostly on here. So uh, I can only imagine it is was minimal training um, just based on the age. If the dog came to came to them around 12 weeks old, you're talking three or four weeks of training, which is, you know, minimal, minimal, minimal as far as big picture impact when it comes to behavior forming and shaping of behavior based on habits. It's just not enough time. So back to the message. We failed him not working on this more vehemently as a pup. I have an idea. I have an idea of not getting too intense with puppy training until about six months, which is not to say we didn't do any training. We have worked with Boone from the get-go. I've always used the tone vibrate setting as a first course. Boone quickly caught on, but when we would tend to get focused on run and running or not responding quickly, I'd go up a notch, usually setting it on three if one or two yielded no response. My point Sorry for so much background. I want to get Boone weaned off the collar. Oh, we also have horses. It's important he become a good riding companion around our place. He usually is, but in the west pasture, closer to the neighbors, can get curious. I appreciate any suggestions or pointers you might have with this process. My current method, while keeping the collar on when outside, always set to vibrate and simply giving him a chance to respond. Mark, my husband, says I give him the command too often without a correction or nick. He has always been critical of this, which I guess bears out my point of hesitancy in using the device. Thank you so much for your help. Blessing to you and your staff Help for the help you give folks, and most importantly, our beloved dogs. Be well. Sincerely, Carrie. Okay, so you got a lot of, we got a lot of information. Like That was a pretty, pretty well put together email. Long, um, lots of stuff there. And so it does require me to process it. And I'm literally reading it for the second time with you guys right now. I read it once and that's when I decided, boy, I, I would struggle to email this back. I'm going to turn it into a podcast because I think I can get deeper into it. But I read it once. Now I read it again. 
And there's a lot of stuff there to process. So when it comes to, I just wrote an article about uh, for Gun Dog. There's another column that we're starting for the new new year of Gun Dog, and it's gonna. I'm not gonna get into it in a lot of detail, but the one of the topics of the article was the idea of assessing the situation when it comes to training a dog, and how I think it's a skill that a trainer really needs and really uses quite often. Um, it's also a skill that I think can be applied to everything in life, which oftentimes is the case when it comes to dog training stuff. I think if you get good at stuff when it, that's necessary to train dogs well, those same skills can probably be applied to make things better in other situations within your life outside of the dog training. Um, I always refer back to patience. I think patience is a big one. But the ability to assess situations. So this is not necessarily responding, reading, reacting to a dog in the moment quickly and timely to make the best decision and, and then build on it or adjust accordingly based on what the dog does. That's what I would do if it were a dog training situation. It's not. It's reading an email with a whole bunch of different points. So I'm, I'm verbalizing that to you and breaking it down and making out some points. And I'm assessing this message. And so I think this is something that I have the luxury of doing it by reading it and taking my time. If I wasn't doing a podcast on it, I probably would have broken it down multiple times, reread sentences multiple times, really tried to pick it apart, making mental notes specifically in my head of things that are probably important factors to consider when it comes to answering this simple, these questions. Okay, so that's like a big breakdown of how I'm, I'm going to try to figure out answers to this email. It's also how I would try to break down answers to things that would come up in the moment with dogs. And the, the tough part with dogs is it's timely. Like if you, you you can't think about it for five minutes and then make a decision on what you're gonna do because you've missed the opportunity. So that's where being having some level of confidence is real important. Um, having having a lot of and confidence I think comes from lots of different things. It's studying and becoming proficient in something, it's practicing a craft, it's it's repetition, it's forming this muscle memory. It's things that where, where you start to respond and react to situations based on experience as opposed to like thinking it through and processing all the options and then making a decision based on that. Like that sometimes if it goes too, if it takes too long and it goes too slow, it's not effective when it comes to training a dog. Now writing an email back to her, I can think about this as long as I want. Doing the podcast, I can't. Like I've only got I, Ben. And ben told me you get thirty minutes. You get it done in thirty minutes or less. So I feel a little bit threatened by Ben at times. But he he said we have decided, and I'm joking a little bit, but we have decided that thirty minutes is a good maximum length for a podcast. It's just for our for our purpose. I know some go longer, some go shorter, and that's fine. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying what we want to do is do about a thirty minute, roughly a thirty minute podcast max. So I have to work within those parameters. And if I totally bisect and dissect this thing over and over and over again, it might be my best way of giving a thorough answer to Carrie, but it won't be an effective way to, to deliver the podcast. So I, all of these are variables that I'm measuring in my mind. Now, let's get back into this question. So I'm assessing the situation. We've got a 65-year-old woman who's had labs for 50 years and hasn't had a puppy for 15 years and every puppy that they've had sounds like they get some some help from the training process, whether it be puppy classes, trainers, different helps 
recommendations from friends of a friends. This is a field trial trainer that they're working with. So all those are important things to consider. Uh, I like that she's focusing on obedience and that's her main concern. She's thinking about maybe doing a little bit of field trial work or some agility work. I can't speak to field trial work. Um, I know enough about it to probably understand it. I don't train for it. I do think there's a different approach to taking training if you're specifically looking to do field trials versus hunting. Um, field trial guys do things differently than hunting dogs do. Uh, field, field trial dogs do things different than hunting dogs. Can you do both with, with the same dog? Yes, I think you can. Does it require training different? Yes, I think it does. And the reason I say that is because if all you do is if, if prepare to do well in field trials, that isn't going to transfer to the field as well as if you trained for all you were going to do was going to do hunting. Now, if you train, all you're going to do is I train for hunting dogs. So what I do very well with our dogs, transitioning them or, or moving directly into the field trial or hunt test arena, not at all. Admittedly, I don't think we would. I think we would handle the basic stuff, no problem. I don't think we would be able to do some of the more complicated, higher level stuff. It's because we don't train for it. We don't prepare for it. I don't want to. So I think that the understanding your objectives with the dog are very important. I also like the idea of this focus in, in uh, the, the idea of importance to obedience because I think, A, that comes first and foremost regardless of what end goals are. I don't care if you want to field trial the dog or be a family dog or hunt the dog or do anything in between. I do think if you ha don't have a solid foundation to build on, your building falls over. I think if you, that's construction terms, dog terms, if you don't have a good foundation of obedience, your dog collapses in the field. So you, you're not, or in the house for that matter. So you're going to, you, you need to have that. And she understands that. Um, now getting into the collars. So she, she got in the, the question came, I think from a podcast she listened to where I talked about collars versus teaching a dog to recall without one, which was again, spurred from a question from an email. Um, actually it might've been, uh, a YouTube question, I think, but anyway, so here's her dilemma. She's had reservations using a collar or treat training, which I don't, I don't treat train either. And I'm not saying you can't treat train. I'm saying I don't do it. So, and I'm not saying you can't use an e-collar. I'm saying I don't do it. So she has reservations beginning with the use of a collar and treats. And so right away, that's a big, that uh, stands out to me right away. She, she knows it. She's told me it. She's got some reservations. If it goes back to the idea of being confident in what you're doing, if you're not confident in what you're doing, even if it is the right decision, dogs read you really well. And so if you do, if you make the right decision without a lot of confidence, the dog will second guess you, even if it's the right decision in theory, because a leader that doesn't know what the hell they're doing, it becomes pretty clear, pretty quickly to observant outsiders, whether it be a dog or a person. And if you're my leader, uh, now we're talking humans, if you're my leader, you're my boss, you're my uh, coach, you're my, it, we'll put it in any scenario where there's a leadership role, if you are hesitant with your decisions and you're making and you're making commands to me, you're telling me what to do and you're not sure about it, I am not going to, this is me personally, I am not going to respond with a lot of gusto. I am not going to say, yes, for sure, let's do it. I'm going to go, okay, I guess, you know. And so does that affect me in my performance? 
I do think it does. So that is a that is concerning to me. Um, so you've got your now you're you're working with a, a trainer, a field trial trainer. It sounds like he is you have agreed to the collar, understanding the theory. You have had a difficult time accepting it, but you believe that it could save your dog's life and in certain situations. I think quite honestly, you have to make a decision if because now it goes back into it leads into the next part where it says, I want to wean Boone off the collar. So you kind of want to you kind of want to be on the collar. You kind of don't want to be on the collar. You'd like to have what I'm taking away from it is, is you'd like reliability. You'd like to have a dog that you can have reliability when it comes to foundational stuff, specifically stuff like recall. It sounds like a very important part is recall. Um, and I think the other part that you know you brought up was the idea of you can't let your dogs just wander because if they're in a neighbor's cattle, they could potentially shoot them. And so that that's obviously a concern. It's in the back of your mind. You brought it up specifically and spelled it out in this message. I think my simple answer, this is how I can answer this very simply, because I totally get it. And I totally have to achieve these things with our dogs as well. And when I say our dogs, whether they're ours or clients' dogs that we're training, we need a dog that's reliably able to be trusted, to behave, not get out of, not get put themselves in position to get into trouble. That could be in my house so that they don't chew up the furniture. That could be in the past neighbor's pasture so that they don't get shot by the farmer because they're in the cattle. It and then and anything in between. So I look at it and I go, I think it's very simple. I think the idea is you build the foundation solid and you add layers slowly. So how do you find success? I'm going to oversimplify this. How do you keep the dog from getting shot because it went in the neighbor's cows? Set the dog up for success or the alternative is you set the dog up to fail. The easy way to do that is A, starting early. I don't, and I, you had mentioned in the idea here, you're not big on getting into training much before six months. I think you followed that up well when you said, um, which is not to say we didn't do any training. We have worked with Boone from the get-go. I think you have to. I People ask me all the time, when do you start training? I tell them the day we pick up the dog. That doesn't, that doesn't matter if it's seven weeks, seven months, or seven years. The day I pick them up is the day we start training them. And where and how we start training them varies greatly depending on the dog's age and where they're at. But I don't believe in the idea of not getting into training with the pups until they're around six months. And I hear people talk about that all the time. Let the puppy be a puppy. The problem is, is if you let the puppy be a puppy with no good direction, you've got a hellion on your hands by the time they're six months. It makes your job much, much more difficult to rein them back in. So if you're listening to this podcast and you got a seven-week-old puppy, remember that. I'm going to tell you, start forming good habits today so that when they're six months old, you're ready to continue on with the journey. Don't start the journey at six months and cross the fingers that a lot of bad habits don't form between now and then because they're going to. Now, I'm not saying Carrie's did that. You made a point of saying you didn't do that. So what I'm saying is, is maybe you did, maybe you didn't have enough good groundwork in from 12 weeks roughly when you got the puppy, it sounds like, till now. And I also think, look at that. It's, you know, right now the dog's eight months old. You've admitted or brought up the idea of that six-month mark is when you start getting a little more serious. 
you've only had the dog since it was three months. So literally from th- roughly three months to six months is only three months of time. Not that you can't destroy dogs in that short of a time. I think people don't recognize how resilient they are. They're not quite as fragile as we sometimes give them. And I've had people say, well, he's, he's already six months old and he's got all these bad habits. Lost cause. The Humane Society is full of them. I guarantee you. That's why a lot of dogs are in there because we don't put much effort into them early on and they, we create these little monsters. They're very shapeable. We can shape them poorly or we can shape them nicely with about the equal amount of effort. It doesn't take a lot. It takes a lot of thought and process and planning and realizing that a lot of the stuff we're doing is impacting them all the time. They're always learning. We ought to always be training. So my my easy answer for you is it's eight months old. It's a puppy. Start being taking it a little more serious about the idea of I am going to be sure of every situation that I put the dog in, we set them up to succeed and not fail, which means if I'm worried about my dog getting shot in the neighbor's cows, don't let the dog out by himself unsupervised. It's that simple. I know it sounds terribly simple and you're going, well, that can't be that easy. Yes, it is. Don't let the dog out if the dog runs off. I have dogs right now that Bella is not allowed to be left in the house by herself when we leave the house for more than an hour or two. Like, I just don't trust her. She'll pick, she'll collect stuff and hoard it and carry it over and put it on the bed. And she chewed the ears off of uh, Lillian's little lighted owl the other day. And I said, and I left her out for about four hours. And I thought, whose mistake is it? Whose problem is it that she chewed the ears off the owl? It's not Bella's fault. It's my fault. She's not ready for it. She doesn't get the freedom. She goes in her kennel when I leave. Now, she doesn't have to go in the kennel every time I leave because I can leave and come back and she'll stay in place pretty good for a considerable amount of time, but not all day. Now, my other dogs, they're, they, don't, they haven't been in a kennel overnight for years, but that didn't happen when they were 8 months, 10 months, 12 months, 14, 16, 18 months old. They earned it slowly. They gained that trust. They were able to slowly allow. So I can let some of my dogs, I have had dogs that I trained that ran off. They got, they did it once. They ran off once. And I realized I am not ready to allow that dog to go outside, close the door, forget about it for five to 10 minutes, and then come back out and call it back to me because this one ran off. So going forward, I learned my lesson. She's not there. That dog wasn't there yet. It's just a matter of building. So what do we do? We just keep going along the journey. We don't panic. We don't freak out. We don't go buy a collar. I don't go buy a collar for him and go, this will fix it. Now, I can't answer the question. So here's where I was going to talk about, you know, I wish I had the easy little answer for you. If this is how you'd wean the dog off the collar, I think you make a decision. You can train the dog with the collar or not. If you're going to train with a dog with a collar and you got to buy in and you got to pay attention 100%, not, eh, I kind of want to do it a little bit. And then you have the confidence in yourself to say, we're going to get it done this way. Because even if it's the wrong answer, there is no wrong answer with that, by the way. You either do it or you don't. It's black and white. There is no, we're going to kind of sometimes use it. I think that is the most gray area wishy-washy kind of decision-making that there there is. And I think it's really makes it unfair and difficult and challenging for the dog. It's not fair. I'm big on fair, being fair to the dog. If you want to use a collar, be fair to them. Use the collar. If you don't want to use the collar, be fair to them. Don't use the collar. One way or the other. 
but you got to make the you got to be you have to make the decision and you have to believe in it and then you got to stick with it because you can't change your mind every other week either and i'm not saying carrie would but i've have seen this so many times where people are finally make a decision and then they start in on that journey and then they get about a week into it and it doesn't go as smoothly it's not perfect it's not going exactly the way they want it to and so then what they decide to do is they decide to 180 and shift the other direction and now i'm going to do it the opposite and then they start doing it that way and then they realize well this isn't the grass isn't always greener on the other side sometimes you have to water your lawn that's what my wife always used to i always would say stuff you know hey, boy that looks a lot better over the that way that that looks a lot, doing it this way seems like it would be a lot better maybe we should do it this way and she said instead of this idea of the grass being greener on the other side, take care of your own shit. Water your lawn. Fertilize it. Take care of it and it'll turn green instead of just looking over the fence and thinking it's always better the other way. So I think what you need to do is make a decision and stick with it. I cannot give you an answer on how you wean your dog off the collar. Because if you, if you used the collar and the collar was an effective tool to make a behavior, then that was part of the process. And now you're stuck with it. If you didn't, if you decided, hey, I'm not going to use the collar, well, I can talk with you on it then. And my answer is set the dog up for success. Don't go quicker than the dog was ready for. Foundation first, for sure. And build, add layers slowly. That's what I do with every dog. I, I could show you, I could say, go watch Bella Be Good, that series on YouTube, and watch the progress that we made. There were a lot of times where we ran into little hurdles in bumps in the road and we still do we're still overcoming them and we're still like assessing each day and each lesson in each situation with what can we do better next time how can we learn from any issues that we had and what went well and when are we ready to be confident to say yep she's got this let's add this let's but not so much that we've set her up to fail it's just this it's this it's this constant movement it's not stationary. It's not step one, stop, step two, stop, step three, stop, step four. It's one to three to five to four to three to one to six to eight to four to three to five to eight. And we're just slowly moving back and forth. But you'll notice if you listen to those numbers that I just said, it was a scale that we slowly added. The biggest number kept adding a little bit. I ended on eight. But I probably went 10 different numbers back and forth between one and seven or eight, but we just went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But if you look at the big picture, we're sl slowly extending the scale out always, but I'm never afraid to go back if I need to. And I recognize, and, and the reason I have to go back at times is because I push and challenge enough to realize that we've gone too far. So you can't go zero to 10. Zero might be in the yard under very good control in a fenced-in area or maybe not even outside. Maybe it's in the hallway. You recall the dog and he comes right to you. No problem. Okay, let's go outside and put him on 40 acres and leave him for 10 minutes out of sight, out of mind, and then try recalling him and see if he comes. That's too big of a jump. I'm not saying that's what you did here. I'm, I'm giving it as an example. So I think what you need to do is you need to make a decision. Now, the other thing that comes up here down here in the last sentence is, I appreciate any suggestions or pointers you might have in this process. My current method, while keeping the collar on when outside, always set to vibrate 
and then giving him a chance to respond. Mark, my husband, says I give him too many commands without the correction in the nick. He's always been critical of this, which bears out my point of hesitancy in using the device. It's time to have a conversation with Mark and decide, Mark, are you going to be a part of this process or are you not going to be a part of it? Because you're not going to just constantly throw things into my ear about how I'm doing it wrong. Tough conversation, perhaps, for some. Communication is the greatest thing. It can also create the most issues. So you got a husband and wife here. we got a husband that's constantly or seems to be feeding things into the back of your mind, which is only magnifying your inability or your hesitancy to make a decision. Get on the same page with them. Mark, are we going to do the collar or are we not going to do the collar? Maybe you make that decision together. Once that decision is made, you're both in the same boat at least. At least you're not in, in two different boats trying to figure out how to get this thing pointed in the right direction. You're, you're at least in the same boat together. And then when you're in the same boat together, you start having conversations of which, when are you going to row your oar and when am I going to row mine? Because if you are in a rowboat and you're out of sequence, one person's rowing one and one person's rowing the other, you're going to go in circles until you sink together and decide we're going to go together at the same time. We're going to point in the right direction. and We need to turn left, Mark, so you slow down and I'll row faster. And then we're going to straighten back out so you speed back up. Like, that's teamwork. Not only is it teamwork between you and the dog, it's got to be teamwork between you and Mark. It's got to be teamwork between you and the uh, trainer if that's the route you're going to go. It's got to be teamwork between you and I if that's the route we're going to go. You have to figure out and align to have some type of cadence together and then then now and now i'm starting to envision this and seeing this picture where we're working together we're speaking the same language we're talking at the same rate of speed we're moving together it's becoming more fluid it's all of a sudden starting to line up all this all these loose parts and pieces are starting to kind of shape themselves and line up and fall into place like the pieces are falling into place like, I love that visually, seeing that. But it's all because the communication started to happen a little bit better. The decision started to be made and then seen through, followed through with. So I don't have the easy answer of how do you wean a dog off of a collar. There is, I don't have that answer. I, I wish I could give it to you. I, don't, I can't. But all the other parts and pieces that we just talked about, I think are necessary for you to make decisions on and then get to work. Because right now, the other problem that I see is with the indecisiveness, with the hesitancy to make the decisions, and those are your words. I mean, those are, I'm, I'm using your words, your hesitancy when it comes to using a device, your, your lack of confidence to make the move or even believe in the, the process that you've maybe decided to take. Without any of those answers, you're very inefficient. And so eight months old is now the time. It's Today is the day you make the decision and you go and you start going with it. And understand that just because you made the decision doesn't mean everything is answered. It's just the first answer to all the other questions. Now you got to start getting the answers to the other questions and start collecting them together. That's when pieces fall into place. It's not just because you decided we're going to do it this way. It doesn't automatically mean pieces fall in place. That's just one step, the very first step. Then it's actively working. And once you start putting in the effort and making the adjustments and the timing and all that stuff, 
that's when you'll start to see progress. And it might be really little to begin with, but that's good as long as there's progress. And sometimes it'll go backwards and don't quit because it goes backwards. Instead, go, I'm going to learn from whatever it was, the reason that we went backwards, I'm learning from it. I'm not going to do that again. That's, I, th I think some of my best sessions and lessons when it comes to specifically working with a dog on a micro scale come from terrible results. We had a really, um, recently on our Bella Be Good series, it's on our YouTube channel, we had, we've had a few few episodes since, but you go back a few episodes, it's probably around 100, episode 120-ish. 122. 122 is the bad one. Mm -hmm. So we're only a couple past it now. We're on one, 124 we'll be posting. 124 is posting now. So two episodes ago was absolutely hard to watch. 122 episodes into this process was really hard to watch. So I think it was maybe one of the more valuable ones. I think if you look back on the 121 before that, you're going to see a few that were pretty, pretty ugly too. I know there were some that were pretty ugly. Now, there were some that were pretty good. There were some that went really well. And quite honestly, I don't know that we gained a lot from those. What it did was maybe give us a little bit of confidence and trust and develop this sync with me and her where we said, we're ready to take the next steps. And then we did. And when we did, the wheels fell off a little bit. That's good because that means we're not just accepting where we're at and not trying to get better. You have when you get when you push yourself in anything you do to get better, it's not going to always get better. It's going to get worse and then get better. Because it gets worse because you're out of the comfort zone. You're out of the chartered waters. You're you're into places that you've not been before and that's when things fall apart. But you don't get the experience and the opportunity to put those things together without getting outside of that comfort zone. So you, I think you, once you, once you make some of these decisions and move forward, I'm just throwing it out there. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to get ugly probably for a while. Then it'll get better and then it'll get real good. And then you should make it get ugly again because you're going to challenge yourself enough to do that. So Carrie, I'm going to send you an email that we did this podcast. It's, I wish I could have given you a black and white answer of here, this is how you do it. I just don't think it's that easy. Um, it's not a, it's, it, it's, that's not a, what you're, what you're asking for. I, I can't give it to you. Uh, I, maybe someone else can. Um, I'd be interested in hearing their podcast if they can, but uh, I just don't think it's possible. But I think, I hope the takeaway for you from this is you got a lot of things that you can think about and then start making decisions, which those decisions will lead you to action. And then that action will lead to results. And in the end, you get there. And where is the end? I don't know. You, I'd, again, it's it's goes back to the article I just wrote for Gundog, and I talked about finished and started terms. The terms finished and started in the dog world, I think, are way overused. Um, they're overvalued. They're very relative. I don't ever. I think started makes sense. I don't think there's a point that it begins. The word and the concept and the idea of starting something finished to me is unachievable. I don't know that I'll ever have a finished dog. 
because I don't think I'm ever really finished with developing them. And I don't know that I'm ever going to be finished as a trainer. I don't think I ever should be finished as a trainer. I think there's always ways to continue to grow and get better. And I need to. I need to challenge myself more with that. I'm I'm trying. I, I try to regularly. And, and that's something that I think in any whatever craft trade industry that you're in, uh, I think that's an important point to realize you, sh- you shouldn't be finished. When you're finished, you should be doing something else. When you think you're finished, go do something else. So hope that helps, Carrie. I'll send you an email. I appreciate your question. I wish you the best of luck and you keep me posted. And if I can help along the way, I certainly will. Um, but that's it, guys. There's another podcast. I'm sure we probably went over a half hour, huh? Oh, yeah. How long is that one? 45. Ben says 45. Well, I'll pay for it. But uh, that you got a little bonus. You guys got, you guys get, you know, there's a lot of, there's this funny saying that I listened to this guy, Dave Ramsey, and he said, you know, his advice is free. And sometimes that's or, that you're overpaying for it, maybe at times. And so a podcast is free. Our YouTube channel is free. Our Instagram, our, so all that stuff is free. Our hope with it is to provide value. I hear, I do see, and I get comments from some people, and I think, um, 99% of it is super positive and appreciative. I appreciate it greatly. It, it motivates, it pushes me, it drives me. The 1% that isn't, I'm okay with it. I actually, um, I think it's a good lesson for me to be able to take some of that and listen to that and read some of that and not allow it to affect me um, in a real negative way. I do think it also is some gives me some things to think about at times. But I also think, you get, for that guy, you got what you pay for. You know, you didn't, it, so... Don't whine too hard to me about it. Um, you guys continue, uh, please continue to support us in any way that you can. If it's simply sharing with someone that you think it might help, that's that's a great way to start. So thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. And we'll continue to do it. <laughs>